Hey friend, are you struggling to find consistent paid speaking gigs? Do you want to know the exact six steps that you can take to find and book more paid speaking opportunities in 2024? Well, we want to make that easy for you. We've created a new free resource with the help of Dan Irvin, one of our highly successful speakers on our team. Dan has booked over $100,000 in paid speaking gigs in the last few years, and his six-step process is going to help you maximize your chances of getting booked and paid to speak in any industry. You're going to learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, and proposal emails and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps and we're going to send you this 18-page guide straight to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps and you're going to get that free guide. Hey, thanks for listening. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, my friend? Graham Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're having a great day. Really do appreciate you being here. We have a very special episode today. This is the first time we've ever done an episode like this, and I'm super stoked about it. I, I can't wait to share it with you. I know I've probably said that before, but literally, this is the first time we've ever done this type of episode. There's, uh, I'm not making that up, all right? So uh, before we get to that, I want to let you know that if you have an Amazon Echo, I want you to know that we just launched a brand new show exclusively in your Alexa app called The Speaker Lab Minute where we're going to share daily speaking tips all in literally just about a minute. So just look up the Speaker Lab Minute in your Alexa app, and you're going to want to add that to your flash briefing. Then as you get ready for your day, you can ask Alexa for your flash briefing, and you will have a brand new speaking tip literally seven days a week. So we'd love for you to check that out. Again, that's called the Speaker Lab Minute. You can find that inside your Alexa app. Now, for today's guest, what we are doing is uh, we've had a lot of guests. We've had a lot of people that I've interviewed. Today, we're having another special guest that uh, an interview will be con being conducted, but I am not doing the interview, and I'm not the interviewee. What we've done today is we have had uh, my co-host on many episodes, Melanie Diesel, is here, and she is doing today's episode, and she's doing today's interview. So really excited about that. She did a phenomenal job today. She is talking with Michael Barber, who's a, uh, a marketing expert, talented speaker in his own right. They're going to talk about uh, how speakers can, can really show up as their authentic selves on, on social media and on stage, talk about the three different types of content that speakers should share online to market themselves, and then also how your day job can even complement your speaking and vice versa. So lots of great stuff they get into today. Melanie did a phenomenal job. Honored to have her as a co-host. Make sure that you show her some love. Find her on Twitter. Email us at support at thespeakerlab.com. Let us know if you like this episode. Maybe you're like, you know what? Grant, we don't want to hear any more from you. Keep giving us Melanie. Let Melanie do all the interviews, all right? And if you say that, I'm going to be devastated for a minute and then uh, we'll, we'll just let, we'll let Melanie roll with it, all right? So let us know what you think of this episode and if you'd like to hear more of them. Let's not waste any more time. Let's get into this conversation with Melanie Diesel and Michael Barber. Enjoy. Hey there, friends. This is Melanie Diesel, and today I'm subbing in for Grant as the host of the Speaker Lab podcast. I have the absolute pleasure of chatting with my friend Michael Barber, a talented marketer and a knockout speaker in his own right. Michael's the founder of Barber & Hewitt, a strategy and planning consultancy that was recently acquired by Godfrey, making Michael the new SVP and Chief Creative Officer. Thanks for hanging out with me today, Michael. Thanks. It's my pleasure. I'm looking forward to getting interviewed by a good friend of mine. <laughs> I know. I was trying to think back to when exactly we first met. And I don't know exactly when it was, but I have a feeling it was at a digital summit event put on by Techvedia. 
I think it was. It was a speaking event. And then we've just been, you know, sort of besties since then. So it's been an incredible ride to watch your growth in this industry. And, and certainly now I get to get interviewed by you, which is awesome. I know. Speaker friends are the best friends, really. I can't yeah. recommend having fellow speaker friends enough. Yeah. No, they're great people. Good humans. Yeah. And I know that when I met you, you had already been speaking for a bit. You want to tell me a little about how you actually got into speaking? Like what was the first time you got on stage and and had something you wanted to say? It was a little bit serendipitous. So for those that don't know my background, I worked for just this guy named Jay Bear for a number of years. If you're not familiar with Jay, one of the thought leaders, if you will, in our industry and certainly a recognized speaker around the world. And Jay was lucky enough to go work for Jay right out of college in this tiny little interactive shop called Mighty Interactive and was just starting his speaking journey as well and had an opportunity to go speak and couldn't make it and said, you should go. And I said, well, what am I going to speak on? He said, oh, you'll figure it out. They just need someone that knows what we do on the stage. And so I fumbled my way through a, a couple, sort of the first few times that I was on stage and, and then it became a thing. And it was never, never set out intentionally to be a speaker. I've never been one of those people that has aspired to to speak for the rest of my life. Certainly, it's it's become a passion project, and it feeds the it feeds my soul in the sense that I think I was largely put on this earth earth to teach people, and that a teacher and professor salary only pay so much, as you know. So I get to go and enjoy my day job, and as well as have little bonuses of getting on the stage and and speaking throughout the year too. I think for so many of us, that was the case. The first time you get on stage, you're filling in for someone else and you're like, oh, I'm the backup choice, but I got to rock this. That's the same thing that happened to me. I was filling in for a colleague and I had that same moment of like, oh, wait, I kind of like this. I think I want to do, do some more of this. Yeah, um, to be fair, the fill-in role is often probably the, the best role that you can get as a speaker because there are two things at your, at your benefit. You have zero expectation right? Because you are not the person that they selected. And because of that zero expectation, if you come in with anything, let's say 80% good, you are looked at as, you know, being a phenomenal speaker. So it's a double-edged sword of, of terrifying fear, but also a really interesting place to be in because there's zero expectation for how well you're going to do. Yeah. And I think that's true for the audience too, right? Like if, if the audience or the organizers know that you're filling in, you've had a last minute change or something, it also takes some of the pressure off of you of like the weight of the world is not on my shoulders here. Just by showing up, like you said, you're kind of, you're already saving the day in, in that. For respect. sure. And it becomes a bit, it becomes an opportunity for some improv, especially if you're in that fill-in role. You can leverage that to be a part of the story that you tell, that you bring to the stage. It can become an interesting point if you get to a place where you're not sure where the conversation is going and you can use it as a pivot opportunity and, and definitely leverage it from an improvisational perspective because it does give you a lot of freedom. And you talked about your day job. So talk to me a little bit about what your day job is because there's been some exciting things going on in your world and it seems like your speaking is very much sort of a function of what you do professionally that they, they complement each other really well. Yeah, I mean, in our industry, I mean, you're in marketing as well broadly, right? And it is certainly a, a place where we begin to allow ourselves to develop our thought leadership at the stage as it, as it itself and allows us to get exposure to a couple of really things that drive our business, which are new clients um, and certainly new ideas. Because whether you're at an agency or at a brand, unless there's a really keen focus on, on things like innovative thinking and, and blue sky opportunities, conferences are where we go to learn. And so it's a really great opportunity that serves my day job well. Speaking of the day job, per your question, yeah, it's been an, a, an incredible ride. So I started my consultancy about three and a half years ago, 
And almost essentially three or four days after I started that consultancy, Godfrey called me and they became a client. I mean, we worked with Godfrey on a number of initiatives. But Godfrey is a very specialized agency that's based in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We only focus on mid-market industrial manufacturers, which are the least sexiest brands in the world. And if you, you know, if, if you have any uh, false hopes and grandiose hopes of coming out of design school or, or work or getting your marketing degree and, and coming to work for an agency that works on mid-market industrial manufacturers, it's like, it just doesn't equate. You want to go work <laughs> on the big brands of the world. We're just not that type of agency. But we do really incredible work. And so I've got the chance to work with their team over the past three years. And late last year, Stacy and Aaron, who are the two managing partners uh, of the agency, Stacy Weisel and Aaron Michalak said to me, hey, we'd like you to do more work with us. And I said, okay, let's figure out how that works. And they said, no, 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 no. I think you're not interpreting <laughs> conversation correctly. We'd like you to do this full time with us. And I said, so move to Lancaster and <laughs> work here full time. And they maybe, said, yes. Can you, maybe you should paint a picture of Lancaster for those who, who haven't had the privilege. Yes. So let me tell you. Uh, and, so and where I, you were coming from before. Yeah. <laughs> I had spent the last five years of my life in LA, splitting largely my time between LA and San Diego. That's uh, where Barber and Hewitt was based, right in downtown LA at 7th and Fig, if you're familiar with the downtown area. And Lancaster is a town of 50,000 people centrally located in Pennsylvania. And we are largely known for one thing, and that's the Amish. So this is a very different, different town. And while it was incredible to get to know the town and see it really start to grow over the last three years of working with Godfrey, it certainly wasn't on my shortlist uh, <laughs> to be a, a resident, if you will. I thought about it, and I'll tell you there were two key reasons why I made this decision. One, as you know, as an entrepreneur and as a, a, con, a marketing consultancy owner, it's only so much fun to work as an individual. And when you're working on really thorny tasks for clients, you need more people involved in those discussions. You need a team to help be able to support those opportunities. And I never got into the agency business to build a, a team bigger than what we already had. And I knew we'd gotten to the place where I wanted to join a team. And so this was an opportunity to do that. And two, this is an agency unlike so many others in our industry where you see a lack of focus and wanting to be everything to all clients. For 70 years, Godfrey has only served mid-market industrial manufacturers and we've done so in very specific ways. And so that's a refreshing opportunity yeah. to get the chance to work with a team that I've loved, that I've gotten to know that in a sense, I got to date and marry over the course of a number of years. And then just blown away and humbled by the fact that they asked us to join them and it's been a really incredible ride over the past four months as we've we've evolved and, and gotten to know each yeah. other. Yeah. And so, yeah, so now I'm based in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, which has been <laughs> an incredible experience thus far and certainly one where I'm, I'm getting to know the facets of small town living and, and East Coast living as well, because this is the first time I've been essentially three and a half thousand miles away from where I've lived most of my entire adult life. Maybe you'll grow to love it. I'm on the East Coast too. <laughs> I know. I'm very close to you. I can just hop to New York. Exactly. Yeah. But I loved your point about Godfrey's not trying to be everything to everyone. And I think that there's, there's a lesson for speakers in that too, because especially when speakers are starting out, there are a lot who would apply this label of like a motivational speaker or something very general and say, well, I speak to everyone. My message applies to everyone. Yeah. So in speaking, it's as important as it seems to be in the agency world to really understand your niche, to have a really clear idea of who your ideal client is. Is that the kind of thing that you're helping your clients with and might be able to talk to us about how speakers can do that same thing too, how to kind of hone in on that? Yeah, for sure. I think 
when you're a speaker, especially when you're just starting out, it's really easy to go broad because it allows you to have so many opportunities that you're not going to have. And when you're just starting out, that's what you need. You need stage after stage after stage to refine the craft and get accustomed to what works and what doesn't and really find your footing and find your style when you're up there. And if you're very specific when you start, that's a hard sort of a way to start because you're limiting the amount of stages and the amount of places that you can speak. But it will be liberating as you grow in your speaking because it allows you to say, this is what I'm very good at. And this is where I know that I can contribute value. And when you bring value to the stage, you're going to get hired for those opportunities more often. And what I will tell you, I have no data to back this up, but this is just a broad observation of the industry. When I see highly successful speakers, I see those that have really pinpointed and say, this is what I do well. This is what I don't do well. But here's 15 people that can do that for you if you're looking for that sort of speaker. And those are the ones that I tend to see have been in this business for a long time and have grown in this business and been able to stake their claim and own that piece because they know that there's only a few speakers that are going to do exactly what they do. For me, and I think for you also, we've become very specific as to what we talk about. And for me, it's email and it's customer experience. That's what I know I'm good at. That's what I know I can bring to the stage and, and bring hopefully a perspective that people that is both entertaining and educational and for other people, you know, and, and especially in our industry, and I don't want to spend too much time on just talking about the marketing industry and speakers right. there, but especially in our industry is it's not just ours, is this the ability to go broad because there's so many topics we could cover. But the problem is that is you're only scratching the surface mostly exactly. when you're going broad. And so it's, you know, it's, it's been really interesting to be able to have that focus in my professional life, my day-to-day -day life, as well as continue to have that focus over the last few years as my speaking career has evolved and, and been able to say, this is what I'm good at. And when, I'm, and when the opportunity isn't there, it's not. But here's someone that can, that can certainly fill that role. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I think that echoing what you said, again, I don't have the data either, but what I see is that those successful speakers are the ones who truly understand what their value is. And I, I also like your point about understanding what other people's value is too, being able to refer business that way. You know, if someone comes to me and has a question about email marketing, that is not my niche. And I'm not going to take that gig because it won't serve the audience and it won't serve me. I'm going to call yeah. you up and send it your way because that's really what's best for you, for me and for the audience. So it seems counterintuitive to niche down, but I think what we've both seen is that it's, it's so important to really truly understand your value. Yeah. And I'll tell you the other thing that I've been very surprised at the last couple of years is when you do say, Hey, I'm not, that's not me. That's another person. 50% uh, of those opportunities, the conference manager or whoever's booking you is going to call you back and say, okay, but we want you. So how do we build something that is up your alley that might be a bit different than what you shared last year, right? So how do you evolve that topic on a yearly basis is also important. I literally just had that happen yesterday. I had someone direct message me on Instagram saying, I saw you at in Chicago. We want to bring you to this. We want someone that's on content marketing and influencers. And my first reaction was like, that's not what I talk about. <laughs> and it's not what I do day to day. Sure. I could get up there and tell you everything that I've heard from like a, a Liaden or, or from you yourself uh -huh. or, or from any number of great speakers that are out there. But that's not me. And I said, I said straight up, I'm, I'm super thankful for the comments. You couldn't have been more kind, but that's not what I do. I do customer experience and email. That's what I'm good at. If you want a recommendation for those people, here's five names. And they came back and were like, that's great. Okay, we think we could do, use you for this then. So you, you often will, it is almost refreshing to put that line in the sand because 
conference managers will trust the craft that you're going to put on stage and figure out a way to get you there that meets their goals. And they appreciate you saying, this is what I speak about. And I don't speak about anything other because you know what your limitations are. And that's a refreshing perspective to have. Yeah. Do you get a lot of inquiries that way via Instagram DM? I mean, I've seen your Instagram Ooh. stories and they are fire, so it wouldn't surprise me. But is that is that like a big inbound channel for you? On it's, been a, it's been a channel this year too, specifically. And I think the thing is, is it's just people are using almost every single social media channel to start a conversation with you. It doesn't matter if it's LinkedIn. It doesn't matter if it's Facebook. Our personal and our professional lives are so blended these days. And I'm glad that's happening because I don't think we're two different people. At least I, I hope that we're all comfortable enough with ourselves to be the same person, whether we're in a workplace or whether we're, whether we're not. And so I think that's just what's happening is that people's professional and personal blending of where they communicate is very much intersecting in strange different places these days. But also, I mean, when I'm on stage, my, essentially my Twitter handle, which is the same handle everywhere, whether it's Instagram or Facebook, is, is on those slides. And it's what's in the conference, booklets and agendas. So if someone finds you there and starts a conversation there, who cares? It's just another <laughs> great way to have an inbound opportunity for sure. That You make a really good point about putting your, your handle on the slides. I imagine you've come across some pretty good tips in that same vein, right? And working with clients about you know, having that strategy and making it easy for people to find you. Is there anything else you do or anything else you've tried to do to kind of connect those different worlds, those different platforms and make them serve your ultimate goals? either professionally or specifically with speaking? Sure. I mean, I think that you have to understand as a speaker that you are a product that people buy. And whatever you're putting out on social, especially if you're going to talk about those social handles, and you're going to encourage people to find you there, that you have to represent that product. And for me, I think the one thing that I... And somebody said this to me, I was on a podcast for travel agents a few weeks ago, and the host said, You've got to follow him on Instagram because it's just the guy that you would have a conversation with as well. And I think that's me. I'm just, I'm the same person on social that you're going to get at a conference or you're going to have dinner with. And that's my product. There's no, you know, like Beyonce has, she's got her product that she puts on stage. Melanie, you've got your product that you put <laughs> on stage, right? I'm just me that gets up on stage and, and does my bit. And people buy that product for a reason. And so if you're going to leverage social, whether it's Instagram stories or Twitter or your email newsletter or whatever that channel is, you've got to make under, have this understanding that, that conference managers and bookers and companies are booking you because of a product, because of something that you bring to the stage. And you have to be reinforcing that. And so for me, it's always been, this is me. And you take it or leave it. And the people that are going to book me are going to appreciate that that is the perspective that they get, that there's not a personality that's coming across. There's not uh, a different individual or a offline versus online difference, right? Yeah. And so you've got to understand that that's what you are putting out a product. You are a personal brand, call it what you want. The terms are interchangeable, but you are, the people are consuming your content, whether you think they are or not, mm -hmm. you know, that booker may be going down to their hall to their intern and saying, Hey, pull up this person's social profile and I want to see how they act on a daily basis because they're responsible to some of their clients. Well, they're always responsible to mm -hmm. their clients, I should say. So your content, the person that you are is getting consumed in so many different places. And I sometimes I think that's a bit lost. I see a lot of speakers that are different people in social and the product that they put out in 
and stage, and then they are in real, normal life, mm -hmm. IRL, right? <laughs> for all the millennials and Gen Zers that are listening to the podcast. Yep. And that can be confusing for some for yeah. someone, for a speaker bureau, for for a booker, for a conference manager, that if there's this disconnect, that's a psychological disconnect that happens. And so yeah. the more that you can bring the sense of the individual that you bring to the stage, you know, Michael and Amy Port, who I know you've done coaching with and who I've done coaching with, they talk about one specific thing that's always resonated with me is that when you're getting to the stage, you're just amplifying you. You're doing a performance of you in a way that is grounded in a lot of the performance aspects and the training that they take you through. But it's you. And the more that it's you is the more you will resonate with an audience. And so the way that you can amplify you is, to be fair, the easiest way is just be you. And I think that's what, you know, if anything, when you're leveraging and building your personal brand, and I say that in quotes, because I think it's a bit of an overused broad term that sometimes yeah. we get uh, too many topics and conversations around, is the realization that your content and who you are is always being consumed, regardless if you're not putting it out on social, you're sitting at a restaurant, you're having a drink you are having a conversation with a colleague, you're in a coffee shop. Any one of these people sitting around you could impact your career in an interesting way, both positively and negatively. And yeah. so you've got to make sure that the, you know, the, the, the person that you're putting out there, the individual that you are, hopefully is you. And on those social channels, it's a product that people can consume and, and resonate with. And I think that's why if there's any, for speakers, if there was any reason to be using those channels, it's to reinforce that individuality and the presence that you bring to the stage. There's so many good examples of that. You're a great example of that. You look at a, a Neen James mm -hmm. or a Drew Tarvin or a Judson Lapley, right? Like these are, uh, or Scott Stratton. And, and mm -hmm. any one of these peoples are so good at their craft, but it's the same person that's getting on stage that you're getting on a day-to-day -day basis. And right. that's why people gravitate towards these types of speakers. And I think it's so interesting because when you first hear that phrase, or especially people outside the industry hear that phrase, that as a speaker, you are the product. It sounds almost insensitive. It sounds cold, but it's really almost the opposite. It's that you are, like you're saying, you have to amplify yourself, that you are the thing they're buying. And so they have to understand truly who you are in all these different contexts. And I think talking about someone rolling into your, your DMs to offer you a gig, it's just the modern version of you happen to be sitting next to someone who's an event booker at the airport bar or the dad of someone on your kid's soccer team happens to work at a company that needs your services. Yep. And it's such a good point that we do, we kind of have to have some intentionality behind it. I think for some people, especially maybe if they're starting out or maybe if they're not digital native, it's not their, their first language maybe to be communicating on these platforms it might seem scary, like you're putting all this information about yourself out there. Is there anything you've done, you know, sort of in your brand work, you know, an exercise or prompts or something to help someone kind of like figure out who am I on these platforms? What do I want to put forth? Are there ways to kind of understand that so you can have a consistency about it when you're taking that product of yourself to market? Sure. So two things that I'll, I'll recommend. There's this great recent ed book that's been out, I think for about two years by Ray Dalio called Principles. And he talks specifically about work and life principles. And I think as individuals, whether you're a speaker or not, is you need a set of principles to operate around. How do you say yes? Or, and this can be important for any number of things. It's important for this sort of voice and what your the content you're putting out and why you dip your toes into social is because it allows you and gives you a lens of, 
do I really need to share this? Or yes, this is something that I should share about what's happening in my life. So that's one thought. The second thought would be this, and this comes from one of our other mutual friends, Brian Fanzo, who's mm -hmm. a, who has coined, and I hope he has trademarked this phrase, which is push the damn button, mm -hmm. is we've got to be okay with sharing ourselves, with sharing those moments of realness and life, because more than ever, that reinforces why we bring the type of content to the stage and the perspective that we bring to the stage than all the other sort of contrived channels that we create as speakers. You know, we've all got our speaker reels and we've mm -hmm. got our headshots and we've got our, our PowerPoint decks and PDFs that we can share with bookers. And those are done to help us get jobs. But those bookers also want to know, like, who's this individual that I'm bringing to the stage? Can they have a conversation with my attendees when they get off the stage? Can are they going to interact and they're going to come to the happy hour afterwards? Or are they going to be able to do a really good and informal QA, right? And just like, am I going to enjoy working with this person? Are they pleasant? Yeah. Are they friendly? Were they, will they joke around with me or is it going to be very serious? Yeah. Yeah. And so to answer this question is, I would say, encourage you to have a set of principles as to what you share and why you share it. And it doesn't need to be complicated. It can be four or five things that you use as like just a checklist in your head. It says, this is kind of what I'm going to go through if I'm going to take a picture of a food or I'm going to share this interaction <laughs> with my mom or, you know, something along those lines or, you know, my dog or, or all, any number of the, the crazy things that we share on social media. And then two is ensuring that you just get okay with sharing those moments because they really do create tangible connections to people that hopefully drive inbound leads via things like your Instagram DMs or, or otherwise. Do you have any examples, your principles? I mean, I know I see a lot of your dogs. I see some of your principles in action, but are there, do you have guidelines for these are the categories of things I share or, or lines that you draw in the sand of like, this is for me and me only? Sure. So at a principles level, the principles are really like overarching, like here's what I, the way that I operate and I'm not going to share things. I don't do a lot of those things that, that are sort of against those principles, but I'm really specific and you can see this on social about what I share because there are, I just have a few passions in life. Those are machines and we're talking planes, trains, automobiles and whatnot. Oh, yeah. uh, so I'm, I'm always sharing that sort of content because I just nerd out on machines, particularly aviation. For those, if you're not seeing a video, which I don't think you're going to see, I have crazy glasses and I'm super blind. And I, if I would have not been in marketing, I would have been a pilot. So that's my, you know, and luckily the speaking allows me to travel as well as right. the job. So it, I get to, you know, sort of uh, gnaw on that passion on a regular basis. Then it's my dogs. They're a big passion of my life, my two Westies, McDougal and Bowie. And so they get shared quite a bit. And then it's food and coffee. Although in another life, I was much heavier than I am now. I've always been a robust enjoyer, if you will, of things that satiate me in my palate, those being food and, and good food. And so I share those sorts of experiences when I'm just like, having a moment with a drink or having a moment with a piece of food. And then it's stuff that helps reinforce what I do. It, it's content uh, about this, the experiences that I'm having on the stage. I share things that people share about me in social on the stage because I hope all of us want to have an impact. So that helps me feel like I'm having an impact and that's important. And I think that's important yeah. for any human, but it also helps. it also helps generate those opportunities when people see that. And then I'm sharing things that I think are really beneficial in my life uh, that 
their mantras, their, their principles, their things that help me operate as a human being. And I hope they help other people operate, but they're, it's things that reinforce those things. And so that becomes my lens uh, of things that go up on social and those that don't. So it sounds like there's sort of broadly three categories. There's you as a teacher. This is my expertise. Here's information about that. There's you as a speaker. You know, here's me on stage. Here's what people are saying about me on stage. And then there's you off the stage. Like, here's yeah. something delicious and my adorable dog. And yeah. I think those are, those are good categories, I think, broadly for, for all of us as speakers to adopt. You know, there's, there's you as the person. There's you on the stage. Uh, and then there's you as the expert who has information to share. And I think it's a really, a really useful way to look at it. And it is. Those are perfect you. categories. This is why you're the host, and I just, you know, <laughs> just uh, schmooze on about different topics, and you get to distill them. I'm just here to listen. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, it's a nice change of pace. A lot of the times we're the ones speaking, but mix it up a little. <laughs> For sure. So I know that uh, I actually had the privilege of seeing you deliver your amazing workshop on email marketing, this like multi-hour thing that I don't even, I'm not quite sure even how you managed to survive it. Do you want to close us out with some, any email related tips? I know that there are a lot of speakers who have killer email lists, right? And they kind of have to walk this content line that we were just talking about, you know, is this my expertise or me as a speaker or just me giving you updates on my life? Any email lessons that, that maybe speakers could take from, from the action-packed workshop I've seen you deliver? For sure. So I'll, I'll, I'll try and keep this short and sweet. A couple things to keep in mind as a speaker and email. One, email is still the number one social media channel. And I'll tell you that if there's anything that we've seen in the last few weeks in the context of Facebook and privacy and Cambridge Analytica and everything that we're seeing in the marketplace with just the volume of content that people have to be able to consume and deal with on a daily basis, it's that We've seen this return to email as an engaged place, especially when it comes to thought leaders and expertise. A couple of reasons why. It's a known quantity. People get email. Uh, they think they know how to control the volume and a lot of, and we're really, really good at doing it these days, both as humans and the machines that help us do it and consume it. And two, we know that it drives opportunities for consulting projects and for repeat speaking gigs is knowing that you are top of mind and within someone's inbox and speaking to your expertise. Some examples that I would encourage people to take a look at that I think are either speakers or thought leaders doing email really, really well. Paul Jarvis, who writes a phenomenal newsletter on a weekly basis, not a speaker, but a thought leader that I think a lot of speakers could emulate. He writes in a very conversational, very letter-driven, salutation-driven sort of style. Other good ones that are out there that are doing uh, broadly doing a great job at, at distilling a ton of content. Jay is one of those. Uh, Jay Bear's uh, newsletter, Convince and Convert, does a really good job of, uh, of ensuring a couple of things that it's personalized, it's timely, it's targeted, and it's relevant for its audience. From just a core tactic perspective, things to keep in mind, design for mobile. Uh, you've got everyone has embraced the scroll. If there's anything that Facebook and Twitter and Instagram have done and taught us is that we use our forefinger and our thumbs. So the content that you're sending via email has got to be consumed that way. Experiment with short and long form content and see what works and what doesn't. Always work towards those people that are your engaged subscribers. Don't worry about those people that are not opening. You can think about them later. The people that are driving your business are the people that are opening, consuming, and sharing your content. Figure out what drives them and then come back to the unengaged subscribers and start doing some different things to see if you can get them engaged versus vice versa. 
realize that your metrics are just your metrics. Don't benchmark yourself against other people. You're trying to increase your open rate, your click-through rate, your click-to-conversion rate. Nobody else's. Forget about in- industry benchmarks. And use images if you can. Images, you know, there's a reason why the web is pretty. There's a reason why we have the Pinterestification of every wedding out there. People like pretty things. So if you're a speaker and you can distill information graphically, try doing that and experimenting with things. And the last tip I'll give you is that interactive content, things like quizzes, GIFs, baking in real-time content from events, which you can do using hashtags with an email, all of that is possible with an email these days. So it's different tactics like that that could make your, your newsletter that you use to either cultivate your community and, and embrace your community or drive speaking opportunities. All of those things can help make that channel, that email channel more productive for you as a speaker. This is awesome. We're definitely going to have to include a lot of this stuff in the show notes because you just gave us like the absolute crash course in yeah. email marketing. And I like it because so many of the things we talked about in this, this little journey we had today kind of come under the same umbrella of like knowing your expertise, showing up with intent and sharing with purpose, really, whether you're on the stage or you're on a social platform or you're in someone's email inbox. And I feel like that is to me, reflects a lot of what I know about you, that authenticity and showing up with purpose and this mission to serve that you and so many speakers have. I think that's awesome. If our listeners are equally as taken by you and they want to learn more about you, they want to connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? I'm at Michael J. Barber pretty much everywhere online, including the website. So if you want to reach me, it's me, M-E, at michaeljbarber.com or at Michael J. Barber anywhere online. Excellent. Michael, thank you for coming. Thank you for sharing with me today. I am so glad we got a chance to catch up and I can't wait to catch up with you again soon. Thanks, Melanie. It was a pleasure. All right, there you go. Did you enjoy it? Fun? Have a good time? Good stuff? You learn a lot? Michael's great. Melanie's great. It's a good M&M duo right there, huh? Michael, Melanie, m M&M. Anyway, moving on. Hey, like I mentioned at the beginning, if you have an Amazon Echo... Uh, I want you to know that we launched this brand new show, this brand new thing on the Alexa app called the Speaker Lab Minute, where we're going to share daily speaking tips, not just myself, but Melanie as well. So myself and Melanie, every single day, we're sharing one minute's quick tips that you can add to your speaking business, your speaking repertoire. You can add it to your flash briefing. And then literally, as you get ready for the day, you just ask Alexa for your flash briefing and you'll have that brand new speaking tip seven days a week. Again, you can find that at the Alexa app And again, the show is called The Speaker Lab Minute. Make sure you check that out. All right, that wraps up episode 195. We'll catch you next time. You're awesome.